Jesus. Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. All these I have kept since I was a boy, he said. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, You still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When he heard this, he became very sad because he was very wealthy. Jesus looked at him and said, How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Oh, indeed, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard this asked, Well, who then can be saved? And Jesus replied, What is impossible with man is possible with God. And Peter said to him, We've left all we had to follow you. Truly I say to you, Jesus said to them, no one who has left home or wife or brothers or sisters or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive many times as much in this age and in the age to come eternal life. Probably for most of us, that was a fairly familiar story. Uh, if you've been reading the scriptures, you'll probably know uh, of this story. But it is a story that is actually, uh, let's say, it is pregnant with meaning. There is so much more here than actually meets the eye. So please, uh, I'm going to pray that uh, God uh, might speak to us as we dive now into his word. Father, we thank you. We thank you that your word is life. We thank you that in it we know you and we know what it is to follow uh, the Lord Jesus. And Father, we ask this morning that your Holy Spirit would be at work in us, uh, showing us uh, the things of our hearts, where our loves, our allegiances lie. And Father, that you would also be reminding us of the grace that you have given us in the Lord Jesus. And in his name we pray. Amen. Now, I don't know, uh, probably most of us here, if we're uh, of a certain age, have sat job interviews, yes? Okay, and you sit there and, um, you know, they've got a list, a spec sheet of what they're looking for uh, in their future employee. Well, maybe, maybe it's a sporting team that you've wanted to get into or an orchestra, you know, you want to join the elite group. You want to get into, this is just not what, yeah, there we go. You want to get into uh, that top tier, okay? And there's this set of characteristics that people are looking for. And sometimes they're spoken, they're out there for plain view, and other times they're unspoken. 
Now, are you familiar with this, this movie? Has anyone seen The Man Who Knew Infinity? Okay, if you haven't, it's well worth watching. It's a man, it's about an Indian mathematician by the name of, uh, I'm going to try and get this right, Srinivasa Ranunujan. Uh, this is a guy who grew up in India with a basic education uh, and who's working in the post office. And the people around him started noticing that he was absolutely amazingly brilliant at mathematics. And so they encouraged him to start sending off papers uh, to different universities around the world. And obviously at that time, uh, England and India had strong connections. So he's sending these papers to uh, a guy by the name of uh, Thomas Hardy, I think his name was, um, who was a maths professor in Cambridge University. He thought it was one of his colleagues playing a joke on him. Uh, but eventually he works out that this is for real and he brings this man across uh, from India into Cambridge and recognises that he is a remarkable talent. And uh, the story in this movie is about the quest, obvious, uh, ultimately, to get him admitted as a fellow of Trinity College. Now, if you're not familiar with that kind of language, that is kind of the ultimate if you are a fellow of the college, uh, you have really arrived. And if you are in, uh, you know, you are there, you've been accepted into the inner echelons of that elite group. And you had to be brilliant. You had to break new ground. But the movie is all about the unseen requirement. You also had to be Anglo rather than Indian. You know, the happy story, I'm going to spoil the movie for you, is he is admitted. But there's lots of twists and turns on the way. What we're dealing with this morning is Jesus' teaching on the topic of uh, how to get in. He's been speaking about the kingdom and he's actually been warning about divisions. You might remember a couple of weeks ago, we had uh, two people walking up a hill. One is taken uh, one is left. Two people in bed, the closest human relationships, one is taken, one is left. Two people working together, probably members of the fa same family, one is taken, one is left. One is in the kingdom, one is out. And Jesus has been challenging the accepted social norms because if you were here last week, Matt spoke to us about the Pharisee and the tax collector. Okay, Everyone would have said, okay, who's in? The Pharisee. Who's out? The tax collector. No, Jesus reverses it. And he tells us in the parable that we saw last week that the tax collector was the one was in and the Pharisee was the one that was excluded. And so this leads to the obvious question that the man asks in verse 18. He comes along and he says this. He says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Another way of phrasing this, how can I be sure that I'm in? We've got four points this morning. Here they are. Lots to offer. The demanding king, the gracious king, and blessing overflows. You'll find those on the Sunday Hub as well if you want those. Uh, but they'll keep on reappearing. This is a man who has lots to offer. 
He is the desirable candidate. There he is, okay? And he's probably a guy who knew it. He was a man of reputation. Luke tells us that a certain ruler, he's got the title, he's a ruler, he's a leader within community, and he's rich. Verse 23 tells us not only is he rich, he's really, really rich. And in that society, they were the people who were seen to be blessed by God. So he's a ruler and he's rich and he's also religious. This is a man. He, he's not the dodgy rich man that we find so often in the, in the Gospels where you see he's got rich by ripping off the poor and doing all that kind of thing. This is a guy who's kept all the rules. He's a man of reputation. He's rich. He's religious. What's not to like? And he comes to Jesus. Good teacher, sign of respect. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replies to him. He deflects the flattery and he refers him to the Ten Commandments. Here they are. Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honour your father and mother. He lists out commandments five through to nine. He uses them as a bit of a summary statement to capture the whole lot. And he's focusing here on the horizontal aspect of the commandments. You might know the first couple focus on our relationship vertically with God and then the last few with those around us. Jesus picks some and he leaves out others and I would like to suggest that's quite deliberate. And what does this man say? He comes along and he says, all of these I have kept since I was a boy. Now, we probably miss the force of this. The Jewish tradition at this stage said there are three people, three people alone who kept the law perfectly. Moses, Aaron, his brother, who was the first high priest of Israel, and Abraham. Okay, so this guy puts him in the self in the best of the best. All these I've kept. I'm the one who can tick these boxes. So you can imagine, you know, he's sitting there at the job interview and he says, you know, why wouldn't you give me the job? I am the perfect candidate. That effectively is what he's saying. He is confident that he has done the right things. But if you're familiar with scripture, if you're familiar with Jesus in Luke, you'll know that there'll be some alarm bells ringing here. But not at the time. At the time, everyone there in the crowd would have agreed with him. This guy was shiny. He's up there. He looks so good. He is an exemplar and he says that. I've done it. And Jesus doesn't contradict him. You note that? Jesus doesn't say, ah, rubbish. No, 
Jesus doesn't contradict him. It's interesting to ask why, but we'll get back to that. Which moves us to our next, our next point, the demanding king. Here we go. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, you still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give it to the poor. And then come and follow me. I think that's what it says anyway. I keep, this is jumping around all over the place. Yes, there it is. Then you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. Still one thing you lack. Sell everything. Give it away. Treasures in heaven. Follow me. So why? Why does Jesus add to the Ten Commandments? Why does Jesus give him something more? Now, let me say why he doesn't do it. The first reason he doesn't do it is because money is not bad in and of itself. Let me say this. Jesus is not saying here, if you're wealthy, that's a bad thing. He's not saying that. All you need to do is go into the Old Testament. You'll see the Psalms. Praise the Lord. Blessed are those who fear the Lord, who find great delight in his commands. Their children will be mighty in the land. The generation of the, uh, of the upright will be blessed. Wealth and riches are in their house and their righteousness endures forever. I think the man's peers would have been looking at him and saying, he is the embodiment of Psalm 112. This guy ticks the box and Jesus is not saying you're wealthy and that's bad. Christians often get this wrong because there's a verse in uh, 1 Timothy chapter 6 where it says, often misquoted, the love, no, money is the root of all evil. You've heard that one? It's actually the love of money that is the root of all kinds of evil that is there. Jesus is not saying money is bad. Let me say that. Neither is he saying that poverty is somehow virtuous. Those who argue that, I don't think know much about poverty. Perhaps you've actually seen it in the flesh. Perhaps you may have actually experienced it. But the idea that poverty in itself is good is actually not a biblical idea. Here's the Proverbs. The wealth of the rich is their fortified city, but poverty is the ruin of the poor. So Jesus is not telling this man to sell everything and to give it away because money is bad. And he's not telling them to sell everything and give it away because poverty is good. So why is he doing it? It brings us to the core of what Jesus is teaching. Luke here has recorded this story. The Spirit has inspired this story. And it's not a story about money the money is incidental the issue here is the heart ask yourself why did jesus omit the first commandment i am the lord your god who brought you out of the land of slavery you shall have no other god but me Jesus uses this question, this command to give everything away, sell everything you have, give it away to expose this man's real issue. 
And the issue is not his money. The issue is, where is his heart? Martin Luther, many of us will know, he was a reformer back in the 1500s in Germany. And he wrote uh, on this topic, he wrote a little uh, booklet, uh, a catechism on the commandments. And when he got to the first command, he said this, what does it mean to have a God? A God means that from which we are to expect all good and that to which we are to take refuge in, in all distress. Gods provide blessing. Gods provide protection. Blessing. They are the thing that we look to to provide us with all good. Protection. They are our refuge in distress. Jesus' command here exposes what this man's God truly is. And it's interesting, isn't it? Because this man was shiny. This man was religious. But this man, where his heart was, was not with the Lord, but with his money. Jesus is teaching and scripture teaches us what we look to for blessing, the source of all good and protection, the refuge in distress. What we put our trust in is our God, is our treasure. Jesus says at another point, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So brothers and sisters, where is your treasure? What is it that we look to? Where is it that we rest our hearts, knowing that because dot, 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 fill in the blank, because of that, I can be blessed. I can, be, I can access all good. Because of that, I have protection against harm. And Jesus teaches us that this is actually what shapes our life. This is what directs our life. It actually shapes our morality and makes our choices for us. It provides the motivation. And Jesus and the scriptures teaches us that it is one of two things. It is either the real God, the God of scripture, or it is idols. It is real gods, real God or false gods. And for this man, it was money. For this man, he looked to his wealth as the source of blessing. The thing that gave him all good. He looked to his wealth as a source of protection. The thing that he lent on, the thing that he fled to. I'm okay because I've got the cash in the bank. And money is a powerful God substitute. It gives us choices. It gives us leverage. I don't know if you've ever not had money, but you don't, you don't have the freedom to do the, what you will. You can't live where you choose to. You live where you can. You can't choose. You might need something, but you can't get it. I don't know if you've ever known what it is to lack. And money can be just as much of a God 
for people who have it as those who don't. If only I had, then I would have all good. Then I would be secure. Because I have, then I have all good. Now I am secure. But the Bible tells us that any God will make a slave of us if it is not the true God. So what is it for you? This is the issue. The issue is not money. The issue is our hearts. Where is your treasure? What do you look to for protection and blessing? The scary thing is, another reformer, a guy called John Calvin, he said this. He said, a person's nature, so to speak, is a perpetual factory of idols. Human nature, he's saying, our hearts constantly want to latch on to things to look for for blessing and protection that are not the true God. What are those things for you? It may be money. It may be something else quite different. It may be your reputation. It may be your education. It may be your relationships. It may be the experiences that you've had. How do you know? Let me give you a few, few indicators. What do you dream about? When you, when you have a spare moment, you know, when you're not being distracted by everything going on around you, the kids aren't doing things or people aren't ringing you, or when you've got a spare moment and you're sitting down and you're dreaming... What is it that you're dreaming about? Are you dreaming about your next holiday? Are you dreaming about the renovations? Are you dreaming about that career advancement or how you're going to develop that business? Are you dreaming about your children and their children and maybe even their children? Those connections that are there. Are you dreaming about you know, the wonderful reception you're going to get and what people are saying about you. What do you dream about? What do you say, if only I had blank, then life would be great. Or because I have that, life is great. And can I say, often these idols are good things. I've tried to point out this morning that money in and of itself is not a bad thing. But it's what our hearts do with it that creates the problem. Relationships are great. They're a blessing from God. But when we turn them into an ultimate thing, they enslave us. And we live and die for the approval of others or the success of our children. When our career and work is a good thing, God made us for work. But when our work becomes our identity, and then it goes pear-shaped, the business goes under. We don't get the respect that we think we deserve, or the advancements don't happen. What happens? These things are, can be good things, just like money, but they are never meant to be God. What do you dream about? What do you stress about? What do you worry about? It's number two. If I lost this, 
then life would not be worth living. When we lose good things, you know, the boss calls you in and says, we're having to downsize. Sorry. Pack your bags. A horrible thing happens. The doctor says, six months. Something happens with the kids. All of a sudden, the global financial crisis comes back again with interest. And your superannuation goes from here to here. What happens? What do you stress about? What do you worry about? Also, where do you feel the tension between following what you know God wants and doing something you know he's wrong? It's wrong. Where do you feel that point? Where do you feel the crunch? Because where that crunch happens, and Jesus made that crunch for this man. He made him choose between money or following Christ. Jesus made that crunch point. What is it for you? What is it for you? Maybe it's your peers. And you've kind of flown under the radar as a Christian. But now they're kind of working it out. And you're working that it's not really making you the most popular person with them. Surely you don't believe that, do you? And as Christians, we are, we've moved in a situation in our society where people used to think we were the good people. But we're not anymore, are we? People look at us and they think, man, you guys are so regressive. Where does the crunch point come? Will you choose your friends? Will you choose your work? Will you choose that advancement? Will you choose what's your idol over obedience to Christ? What is the crunch? Now, Jesus moves on and he highlights for us both the problem and the solution. The gracious king. He says, when he heard this, he became, this is the rich man, he became very sad because he was very wealthy. Jesus looked at him and said, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God indeed. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Those who, are, who heard this asked, who then can be saved? Jesus uses a very famous uh, illustration here. It's famous because Jesus used it, recognize that. Have you ever tried the whole camel through the eye of a needle thing? Okay, it does work. Um, you just need a blender. Um, but short of a blender, and I don't think they had blenders in Jesus' day. Okay? What Jesus is saying is something really, really big through something really, really small, so obviously impossible. That's his point. And the people recognize that. If this guy can't get in, who can? Because he ticked every box. He was, humanly speaking, perfect. You notice Jesus didn't contradict him when he said, I've kept the rules. I've kept the commands. Jesus doesn't get down and say, but have you really? And we know the rest of Scripture says that we can never perfectly tick the boxes. 
But Jesus is saying true religion, following Christ, is not a matter of externals, but a matter of internals. It's not a matter of rules, but of relationship. And it's the heart where it matters. And Jesus says, if you are going to follow me, you must have an undivided allegiance to me. When it comes to the crunch, you choose me over everything. That's what this king demands. When it comes to the crunch, rich man, me or your money, it's got to be me. When it comes to the crunch, Trinity Church Brighton, what is that for you? Are we undivided in our allegiance? Or are we echoing the rest of the crowd there who's saying, who then can be saved? Jesus replies, what is impossible with man is possible with God. Who can be saved? Those whom God saves. Did you notice the irony of the rich man's question? What must I do to inherit? Answer the question. Someone's going to be in your will, nine times out of ten probably, they are part of your family, yeah? And what did they do to become part of your family? Well, if they're born in the usual way, absolutely nothing. You might have had some say in it, but they didn't, did they? Your children didn't get to pick you. You might say you didn't get to pick them, but you, you got to pick the concept of a child at some point. I'm not going to go there. I'm going to get myself in trouble, okay? If we're going to inherit, we need to be part of the family. But none of us, by rights, none of us are part of God's family by birth, but Christ alone. And this is where our king, our demanding king, is so gracious. Through the cross, God did everything. Jesus came, lived for us and died and rose again in our place. He did this to set things right between us and God, his father, the son, the perfect son, was cast out. Remember on the cross, he calls out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Do you know what's amazing about that, that statement? There's a couple of things. But it is the only time in the Gospels that Jesus does not call God Father. The son, the son who inherited by right, is cast out so that we, rebels who had rejected God, could be brought in. He gives us blessing. He gives us every spiritual blessing in Christ. He has given us, Galatians 5 teaches us, the spirit of adoption that cries, Abba, Father. Abba's just the Aramaic word for father. It's not a Scandinavian pop group, so don't worry about them. Christ has blessed us. God, through the gospel, has blessed us so richly. He protects us. 
If you read in Romans 8, it's a beautiful passage. And he lists thing after thing after thing after thing. Height nor depth, angels nor demons, present nor future. Take your pick. Nothing can separate us from the love of God that is ours in Christ Jesus. Idols attempt this. They offer this, but they can never deliver this. And in the gospel, through the cross, Christ has given us this freely. Let's keep going. I'm going to click through a few things, otherwise you'll never leave. Our last point, blessing overflows. The family is the most elite group, isn't it? There's nothing you can do to become part of someone else's family. I suppose you could marry into them, couldn't you? Okay, I've just contradicted myself there. But I can remember, actually, I can remember, uh, maybe this, I don't know if you've had this experience. You go, to, uh, you go to a wedding, okay, and every now and again you go to a wedding and you see, obviously at weddings, we see families at their best, generally, can I say, don't we? Yes? Okay, and you find yourself at this wedding, and even though it may not be your wedding, uh, you sit there and go, oh, I'd love to be part of that family. I'd love to be, and I can remember actually feeling that distinctly at one point, many, many years ago, we were at a wedding, and uh, the, the father-in-law talking about his son-in-law and the relationship they'd forged, and I thought, oh, that is just beautiful. I want that. Nothing wrong with what I've got, but you want to get in, don't you? But how can you get in? We have got in through the gospel, not into some earthly family, but into the heavenly family where our father is the father of our Lord Jesus Christ, where his love is perfectly expressed through his grace to us in Christ. And once we are in, nothing will tip us out. Once we belong, no one will exclude us. It is there that we find blessing and protection. And when our hearts rest in his grace, we are made strong to pass that to others. God has blessed us through the cross. He's given us membership into his family through the cross of Christ. He's given us the spirit of adoption that cries, Abba, Father. He's given us Ephesians 1, 3, every spiritual blessing. And so when Peter says, oh, we've left everything, what's Jesus say? He says this, I tell you truly, no one who has left home or wife or brothers or sisters or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive many times as much in this age and in the age to come, eternal life. Jesus is saying, you belong to part of a family now. Maybe you've left brothers and sisters. Have a look around. Maybe you've left parents. Have a look around. Maybe you've left friends, other relationships. That's what Jesus is focusing on here. But he has blessed us by calling us into his church. But the best is yet to come. In the age to come eternal life this blessing though was never meant to stop with us it was meant to overflow and so what you will see in the life 
that God has called to himself is as his generosity is shown to us, so it's shown to others. And so are we a people who give everything in the service of the king to bless as he is blessed, to protect as he is protecting? How do you use your money? Do you find it easy to give? If you knew of someone in need, would you act? Or do you find reasons to hold it to yourself? How do you use your time? I often say as a pastor, I find it's easier sometimes to get people to give me money than their time. Because money, sometimes we're in a wealthy society. We can give that little bit and that little bit is quite a lot. But we're busy, aren't we? Are we generous with our time? Are we prepared to give our most valuable asset, perhaps, to people who aren't strategic? To people who aren't going to help us get ahead? You know, that person at work who maybe isn't the popular person, maybe they're not going to advance, maybe they're a little bit of a liability. Do you want to associate yourself with them? Maybe they're having a hard time and they're in no position to do you any favours. Are you prepared to invest in them? Or do you just move on to the person who can benefit you? What about that lonely person who lives by themselves next door? Or the person who just served you at the grocery counter, at Woolworths, at Coles? Are you going to spend that time or are you on your phone checking something else, distracted, you just move on, you're done, okay, you don't even remember that they exist? Will we give them blessing? Little things as well as big things. Will we give them our focus? You know, how much of a gift is it to give someone your undivided attention? It's really difficult to get that these days because of these things, isn't it? It's really hard. But listening to someone, spending time with that person, blessing them. Are we prepared to show the love that God showed us to the unlovely, to the outsider? Not so that we might do the right things to inherit, but because in Christ we have inherited. We are his children. Christ is our brother. God is our father. Will we pour ourselves out like he did to bless and to protect those around us? Let's pray. Father, we thank you that in Christ you have met our deepest need. We were not able to bridge that gap, but he did it for us. He was excluded so that we might be included, cast out that we might be brought home. Father, amaze us with your grace. Let us go out from here 
so convinced, so convicted of your love for us that you have lavished upon us in Christ. Let your spirit be at work in our hearts. Teach us to love as you love, that we might be generous with everything you have given us, that we might both bless and protect those around us, showing them your grace as you have shown it to us. And in Christ's name we pray. Amen.